Coming to you live, and by live I mean pre-recorded, from an undisclosed location commonly known as the dining room table at Sean's house, welcome to yet another episode of How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the OSIP Foundation. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the first episode of the month of March. The year is 2019. Happy you can be with us as we chat with you. As always, you can get in touch with the show. Our uh, website is osafoundation.org. You can check out the podcast site there and uh, click the link to submit your stories uh, for good sportsmanship so that we can discuss them and possibly have you on the show. Uh, You can get in touch with the show by emailing us. The address is podcast at osafoundation.org. You can comment on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash OSIP Foundation. And Twitter is at OSIP Foundation, hashtag how you play the game. Across the way from me, my good friend, the producer engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, welcome. How are you? Great. Just drinking this blue Gatorade over Oh, here. It, it looks very blue. And I, of course, have a ginger ale. Just saw my doctor yesterday and said, thank you, by the way, for giving me the ginger ale. See my doctor yesterday, I say, yeah, I cut out like 99% of soda. What's the first thing I do when I come over? Hey, can I have a ginger ale? There you go. As a result, I... That's how they get you. That's how they get you. We have another special episode today. Uh, Last time, uh, we were interviewing our good friend T-Mac, and uh, we're going to finish up our Close Call Sports uh, review with uh, a very special person, the the head honcho, the grand poobah, the the god among all gods of close call sports, uh, Mr. Gil Imber. Gil, hello, welcome. How are you, Jack? Pleasure to be with you. I'm well, thank you. It's it's our pleasure to have you on here. Thanks for taking some time to uh, to chat with us. You have. Uh, an incredibly storied career for uh, such a young man that we I want to cover. Uh, just to get some background on you, uh, first and foremost, you are the exquisite organist for the Anaheim Ducks, and the amount of fun interplays that I see on Twitter uh, as a result of that is is hilarious. The people know you, they love you. What's that experience like? Oh, there's, uh, there's nothing like it in sports. Uh, you're up there and you're providing accompaniment to the game. You're, you're, you're a part of the entertainment. So you want to keep the fans engaged, uh, win or lose. And, you know, if you follow the team this year, there's a lot of lose. Um, but you want to keep everyone entertained, having a good time. Um, even when the team on the ice, the product, um, might not be doing as well as you'd like, and so you're thinking of different things to play for different situations in the game for different players, et cetera. It's a, I like to say that uh, the organ is sort of a thinking man's game, um, as it were, because you're not going to play, you know, you're not going to play a happy song when something bad happens and vice versa. So uh, what, you, what it is is uh, just a lot of fun trying to come up with uh, clever ideas for how to best uh, accompany the game and make things flow better downstairs by uh, by playing some soothing tunes upstairs. That's it. That's a great way to put it. Do you have uh, a, a connection with the team? Like, obviously, the fans 
know who you are. They interact with you. They 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 get a lot out of what you do. Does the team interact with you at all? Do they ever you know say oh that organist you know or they is is great or uh, you know just comment on it or or express their appreciation for what you do as well? Uh, my department sure does, and uh, <laughs> and related front office folk do, but. Um, you know, the players are, are, are very focused on what they have to do. Um, I, I don't think they're much listening to what's coming out of the PA. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's about the fans is, uh, is what our role is, is all about and uh, trying to interact with them, bringing, bringing the fans into the entertainment product and really trying to create that sense of community and family. Uh, and I think it creates a more connected a more connected team uh, a more connected fan base and it keeps people coming back for you know to hear what's next and you know gil that's really interesting you mentioned that because you know both jack and i are musicians as well and um i i personally i write i write scores for independent film and um some advertisements and video games and hearing that what what you're saying is you're providing sort of a soundtrack uh, for the for the game, it's really kind of an interest, almost like a movie score in a way. Uh, you have to read sort of the, the the ebb and flow of the game and the nature of the game and the situation. And um, it, it uh, it's just interesting that you sort of equate that. Um, and that's what I think is that you're sort of providing a score for the action. Yeah, that's. That's a very apropos way of, uh, of, of putting it, I suppose. Um, you, what, what, what you do and you, you know, you get out there and you're doing music and, and, and sort of the trick is that we have a balance that we use between our DJ and organ. Um, it's, we're, we're more on the DJ heavy side than on the organ side. Um, you know, and everyone has their own opinion on how that goes. And, you know, and a lot of it is we're Orange County and our fans, you know, are more into the, to the rock and pop than to the instrumental stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, what that allows us to do is we do, we we're, we're able to give each other a little bit of a break and that leaves more time for thinking and planning and, you know, it prevents overuse and that, you know, that enables a lot more flexibility. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to repeat songs or material or anything like that uh, unless it's pre-programmed elements, but having, having the ability to, you know, rely on, on our, you know, if our director calls for the DJ, that gives me a chance, a little, Oh, I got some time off. Uh, to save this song for later or to think of what I'm going to do next or to practice or w what have you. And it keeps things fresh. So most importantly, um, if you have that variety, uh, I, I think it's very helpful to uh, the end product. You know, one of the cool things that you mentioned was that uh, you provide a sense of community and a, and a sense of... Um, engagement i guess uh, connecting with the fans you're 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 trying to be that catalyst and whatnot um you know that's kind of our our entryway into the discussion on sportsmanship and and everything that goes into that uh you know you mentioned the the you know the the, the, the reasons you do it how you do it and whatnot can you talk a little bit about the importance or the experience of 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 how you connect with the fans and what kind of a sense 
of emotion that you can that you can either feel yourself or that you can see the fans experiencing as a result of your positive work in 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 playing the organ at these games well the uh, the past few months um, specifically have been a frustrating time for our for our fans and um, you know the the uh, there was an there was a coaching change. There was a letter from ownership to uh, the fan base about um, the difficulties that we've encountered in terms of the win-loss record this season. And <clears throat> a lot of the fans, you know, rightly so, um, you know, got, grew frustrated, as did the team, as did a lot of people. And th- that could be a situation where people start to turn on each other. You don't want people to turn on the organization or anything of that nature. Um, but it's a situation where you, uh, you have emotions that are, uh, you know, it's, it's like anything else in sports, your, your desired result does not actually jive with what's happening. Um, and that's a sportsmanship issue that's universal, uh, and causes a lot of our issues, but, uh, specific to our, um, Anaheim Ducks fan base and all that, uh, you, you want, you, you know, you're, you're, you want the team to do well and the team was not doing as well as you want them to do. And that, you know, and I, and I can say it, you know, as an, even as an employee of the team, I can say that because ownership put out the letter to address the fans about that issue. Um, and so what you're trying to do in entertainment is you're trying to just bring people back to, you know what, this is, this is, even though we might not be getting those wins, this is still a fun night out and we can make the most of it. And, you know, even if, even if, you know, we don't actually win the game, um, you can still hear some fun music. And if you want to hear a certain song and see how that would sound on an organ or something like that, we can, we can make that happen too. And it just gives you another, another element of the entertainment where, you know, it's, you never want to take away from what's happening on the ice. And, you know, for that reason, I play a lot more, um, during intermissions, I play the I play a postlude. Um, I play pregame, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot. So there's a lot of organ that goes on when there's not actually an on ice product, because you know because when I'm playing a full song, I don't want to take away from what's going on on the ice. I don't want to become a distract a distraction. That that would be the worst thing. Uh, when I'm playing while when the team is on the ice, it's generally you know a little. A little earworm for a few seconds, tongue in cheek, whatever. Um, but it always comes back to uh, some sort of way to pump up the crowd to get the team going or something of that nature. Sort of, you know, yeah, I'm commenting on the game, um, but we always end with a way for the fans to connect back to the ice product. But when it's intermission, when it's all of that, when I'm just playing, you know, the organ concert, as it were. Uh, that that's the time when if hey you have a request for some fun stuff that um, you know we can see how wacky we can get uh, it's entertaining and you know if if you ever there was there is there is a Goofy's Wide World of Sports thing where he attempts to sing the uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game from baseball and he botches the lyrics because he doesn't know what he's doing like usual and uh, one of the lyrics you know if he takes the lyric if they don't win it's a shame and he botches it into win or lose it's the same and <laughs> so it's it, it's it's not that win or lose it's the same but win or lose we want to keep you entertained that's beautiful that's that's beautiful i mean i just i i think that that's such a 
something that's missed, I think, in in our our fanship today, especially on the East Coast, as we have these teams who are, you know, it's it's winter bust, and the fan, the fans definitely uh, embody that. You know, there's a lot of, especially in like the the Bronx and whatnot. It's if you didn't win a championship, it's a failure, and there's a there's a level of truth to that and there's obviously you know a a desire to win and you want to be putting the best product out on the field and you know all those things are true not trying to negate any of that whatsoever uh but there is a level of reality that's that is supposed to step in and it seems like you really do the best job in in trying to you know make make that level of reality very visible uh in in a in a world where uh, the competition winning is is very prominent. Right. It you know at the end of the day, um, it's a business. At the end of the day, right. You know, pro sports obviously. So you you want to get to the postseason. You get to the postseason. That's you know that's excitement. That's it's a whole nother level working a postseason game. But you get to the postseason and you got to think that these are you know in hockey we have thirty one teams throughout the league. Baseball's thirty and so on and so forth. Uh, but you have, with each team that gets to the postseason, you have, you know, you have arena staff, you have stadium folks, ushers, security, vendors at the at, at food places, the, um, you know, you have the whole gamut. Um, and all of them are getting paid hourly or by the game. Uh, and so there are, there are real financial ramifications um, for them. And then beyond that, there are the, the shops and the restaurants in the area surrounding the stadium. There might be parking implications. There might be this, that local economy stuff. Uh, so the team gets to the postseason, and it's a boost to the wallets of many people. You know, beyond uh, the 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 actual on field talent or that the product uh, on the field is just a, the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that's going on, and so. There's a lot riding on this, you know. You, you add it all up, and 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 suddenly, you know, that 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 millions or even billions start to look, you know, loom a, bit, a little bit larger. But it, you get to the postseason. There's 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 financial ramifications. You go all the way to the championship. You win the championship. There are further financial uh, implications. There's merchandising, etc. Um, so the business is very real. That aspect is is a definite reality every day, and. You know, and uh, the thing is, you know, that um, a lot of people, even, you know, even the fan base, you, you, you rather have an eight month season than a six month season. You know, you want to, you want to celebrate um, and you want to be able to wear a championship shirt with pride or whatever that, whatever that is that you want to celebrate. You, you, you want, you want some moment to, to, to see something great happen. And, you know, winning winning is definitely a, a correlation with that. It's not the only thing. By far, it's not the only thing. But uh, but you know, it's the most it's the most tangible thing. You know, you can see the win loss record. Oh, the number's higher. Uh, you can definitely see it and and point to it and say that's evidence that uh, something good is happening. And you know, like you know, we 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 had a, we had our. Uh, we, we called up a minor league goalie, uh, and in his first career start in the National League, he got 
a shutout. I mean, that's that's an amazing moment, and his reaction was fantastic. It was it was at, that that moment is absolutely great. You know, we won the game, obviously, um, but that's a microcosm of a season where we might not be uh, the top team in the league per se. But you take what moments you can get, and you know, you add them all up, and in you know, even if if it's a loss. There's always there's always some moments during the game. You know, we we, we had a lot. We, we lost the game um, earlier this season, um, and somehow the highlight of the game was our you know entertainment team. We put together a dance cam, and and uh, we we had we had some fans that were really engaged with that and made that one really fun. Uh, so you know, the brand picked that up, and it's like you know what this is this is the highlight of the game right here. And, you know, you make what you can out of whatever your material is. And, you know, and, and, and so, yeah, they're, they're definite, you know, the tangibility, the financial implications of winning are very real and that's great. But even if, even if the, even if you come up short, there's always something to look at, even if, you know, even if at, in the end, you know, that does bite you in the pocketbook um, because you're not making postseason money or whatever. Uh, in the end, you you do find what you can and you celebrate it. You know, and <clears throat> Jack and I talk about uh, when we, on our first podcast, we talked about sportsmanship germane to which groups it can affect. It can affect the, the players, coaches, officials, fans, and even the media. And I feel like, uh, you know, to piggyback on what you're saying or to culminate what you're saying is that the fans can make or break the game in a way. Um, because, you know, and because you can have one pocket of fans being super positive and that could sort of snowball and you have this sort of mob mentality, uh, amongst a fan base and it can really go either way. And, you know, your job as it pertains to the game, I feel is a way to sort of indirectly, I guess, steer um, the, I mean, not steer, but I guess determine, you know, how the fans can react. Um, and you know, it's, it's really, it's really multi-dimensional with regard to that. What do you think, Jack? I, th- I think you, you hit it on the head really in that, uh, this is not just a, a one plane, one level, one dimension, uh, subject. There are things that, interweave and are on different layers and whatnot. And, and Gil just described it perfectly with regard to uh, how many different things are affected by, you know, these the one small uh, thing that can occur during the course of a game or a season or, or what have you. It goes beyond just the, the surface of our uh, conscious experience with a particular sporting event there are deeper levels to it and the more we quiet ourselves to allow ourselves to see this the more the light bulbs kind of go on um you know and and i'm sure that's you know in essence kind of what what was gil was just saying do you agree gil oh yeah i mean the uh there's def there's a definite herd mentality in in all of what we do um, in sports and, you know, that's a universal thing in, in life in general, but give you an example. Um, back when I was with the Dodgers, you know, in, in the waning days of, of the Frank McCourt era, uh, there was a definite PR smear by, 
I'm not going to accuse anybody, but there was a definite PR smear to get him out of baseball. And, you know, and so they, you know, they, they, they dug up his dirty laundry and said, Hey, this is what he's, you know, they turned the fan base against him. And once he turned the fan base against ownership, it's, you know, all, you know, all bets are off. So we had fans boycotting games. We had, a whole bunch of protests, this, that, the other, you actually investigate, you actually look into the whole thing and, and you discover, oh my God, he, you know, this, um, he had, he, 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 he had some interesting business arrangements that might not have been on the up and up. Um, but in terms, you know, again, it's, it, you're misdirecting from a greater point here, which is what his wife did. And, oh wait, his wife is out of the picture. So why are we going after him now? Uh, but it was, you know, it was it was very much a manufactured crisis, and the herd mentality of that spread like wildfire. And you know, I'm sure you remember Brian Stowe, the the Giants fan who uh, he's the whole reason we're here. Yeah, you know the, uh, you know, so so you know, you know, and 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 for those um, that uh, are just listening. Uh, to this, you know, Brian Stowe's the Giants fan who, on opening day 2011, um, was um, was, was hit, hit in the parking lot by uh, by uh, some uh, some assailant that was eventually caught, of course, which was which was really good. Um, and 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 that was you know that was the uh, that was the whole impetus for this uh, for this. We got to get this guy out of baseball. It was the whole there was a lawsuit. There was this. There was that. The other. Um, so in any case, um, but everyone knows the, the Brian Stowe saga. Everyone knows that a Giants fan on opening day, 2011, um, what was hurt, uh, pretty badly in the Dodger stadium parking lot. Now, um, have you heard, and I'll, I'll ask both of you, have you heard about a, have you heard the name, um, Ariel Afant. It rings a bell for yeah, me. I think so. Do you know what he's in connection with? Not me. I don't. It's a little too early for me in the morning. And by, <laughs> by early, I mean it's after 12 on the East so, Coast. So tell us. So um, Ariel um, Afant and his wife Abigail are two fans that... Um, that pretty much had a similar Brian Stowe type event occur in 2015. They were beaten by Dodger fans in the parking lot after a Mets Dodgers game in 2015. Um, there were injuries. There were, you know, there, there were arrests. There was a whole, there was a whole slew of stuff. You know, it was, if you read the report, you know, Brian Stowe, you know, had a significant head injury, he, right. you know, per- permanent brain injury in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, Ariel Lafont is a similar idea. You know, his head struck the pavement, same idea, same method of attack, you know, and then assailants kicked him and all that stuff. Right. Um, Dodger security wasn't there. Similar, you know, it's, it's, it is, you know, in the parking lot, the, the MO is very, it's, it's a very similar story. You hear, you, you, you hear blanket coverage of the stove thing. Um, the Afant affair, you hear nearly nothing about, um, because Guggenheim had owned the team at that time. The transfer of ownership already uh, had happened, and that's a PR thing. That's speaking of that herd mentality. Um, 
the the whole the whole thing was we got to get McCourt, and Brian Stowe is the thing that we can get him with. There's no, you know, the, now that Guggenheim came in, um, even though Guggenheim has its own issues, you know, you, there wasn't a push to get them out of baseball. So you didn't get this whole, we can get Guggenheim with this guy who pretty much, you know, Stowe 2.0, less severe injuries, but similar, you know, very, the story is very, very similar. And you don't hear about it because again, the agenda wasn't there. So because the agenda wasn't there, you didn't have a chance for this herd mentality to develop and for this thing to snowball into mass boycotts, protests, and, and, the, and the, the whole nine yards. And it's just a very different way of the way two inc- incidents are treated, one of them showing the power, uh, detrimental as it were, of herd mentality, and the other one showing what happens when you don't have that. That's amazing that you bring that up because, you know, to, to put it bluntly, shame on me for not being on top of my game in having that name and that story at at the same footing as Brian Stowe. Now, granted, Brian Stowe and his uh, incident was kind of the impetus to uh, get Osip going. You know, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back where I said, that's enough, I'm going to do something about this. And therefore, the story obviously holds a certain uh, amount of weight in my mind as I use that to to kind of inspire myself to build this this organization. But at the same time, this new case that is you know just ringing a bell in my mind is not at the forefront of my mind, and I feel like regardless of it, I'm not doing or I'm doing a disservice. I'm not doing my job in in trying to make this case or make this story uh, just as just as important so you you raise these very important points about the herd mentality and this is evidence that one story can get the the attention for you know whatever reason and the other story which is the exact same does not get that intention but it deserves our attention and it should be an organization like us that brings uh, the attention to us. So you, you've just, you know, given us more fuel for the fire for our organization. And that I think just further proves the point as to why we need to continue to discuss this, why these podcasts and these discussions and these and everything that we do becomes uh, incredibly important. And I think that that gives us the perfect segue into the next big topic here, which is uh, the beauty that you have created with close call sports, you know, <laughs> you, you, you have given us this, this, uh, this platform to, to look at officiating and, and, and whatnot since, especially since that has such, uh, a herd mentality against officials. So why don't we start with you giving us your background in officiating, you know, what drew you to, to this, uh, and, and, and give us the history that you've experienced leading up to uh, wh- where, kind of where we stand now with, with what you've done with Close Call Sports. Sure. Um, but before that, I want to, speaking of herd mentality, I just want to uh, hammer the point home with a baseball analogy now oh, that you brought did. it up. Yeah. Um, everyone knows about the infamy of a certain umpire named Angel Hernandez. Right? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We talk about it all the time. But did you know that um, Angel Hernandez had the highest plate score 
the highest ball strike accuracy percentage score of the American League Division Series um, between Boston and New York this uh, 2018 postseason. Now, I knew that, and I'm sure I talked about it on the podcast. But that being said, I know where you're going with this, and that is that the herd does not know that, or if they are exposed to that, they ignore it. They ignore the facts in order to maintain their status within the crowd. Am I right? Yeah, the herd knows that Angel that Angel had three uh, overturned replays in Game Three, uh, which which is not the first. Everyone thinks it's the first time in 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 baseball history that an umpire's been overturned three times in a game. It's, it's not. Like, no, yeah. it's not. I, I wrote a whole thing on how uh, Larry uh, Vanover it, had it right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and I, and he wasn't the first. I don't think either. Right. Maybe he was. I don't know. I, I'd have to research my own material, wouldn't I? Um, but <laughs> we're all in the but, same you know, boat. But but th- that was a, that was at least a year ahead of that. And 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 the World Baseball Classic, they had different replay rules. There were more overturns in a game. You know that that set a whole replay record. There was like five replays in one and a half innings or something like that. Something crazy. But anyway. Uh, all, all you know, Angel Hernandez sticks out because oh, he's suing baseball. He's why, why should he sue baseball? You know, the, the you know the common refrain is bad umpire. You know, you can't sue that. You know, this that and the other. It's like uh, no, if you actually research the law, you know, we've done a ton of work on that on that suit and and analyzed it and this that the other and there's there's merit to the thing. We wrote a whole we wrote a whole two you know multi part series on that. It was a dissertation, case, yeah, yeah, yeah. In any case, though. Um, the reputations get out there, and 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 then people go absolutely wild with those. And you know, uh, it's like it's like Joe West said once. Uh, you know, he, when when uh, when Supreme Court overturned the federal gambling plan, uh, gambling plan ban, um, Joe West said, "Hey, hey, that you know, he's like, oh, I'm scared to death about this." And you know, people made fun of him. Ha ha ha. Well. We just got finished talking in the previous segment about the financial implications of sports. Um, and that's simply about paychecks and and local economy revenue and that. Now, how about adding in multi-million dollars in terms of gambling and bets and, and props? And, you know, suddenly, if an, if you believe an umpire has done something to, to cause you to lose a significant amount of money that you gambled, um, I, I can see why an umpire would be uh, w- pretty wary of that. Right. Um, and no one seems to care when the umpire makes the right call. They just are angry that it went against their team. Um, you know, the, you, you know the old joke about how coaches and players or whomever, when they come up to you, say, "All we want you to be is consistent." And it's like, "Well, yeah, all you want me to be is consistently in favor of your team." Right. Um, but it, it's, it's 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 the same idea is that you know it, it it's just such a such a quick ability for. Um, for the for that herd mentality or the reputation or whatever to to you know the reputation precedes the name and you don't judge people on merits you judge people on re- on reputations and you know in in everyone's case except for Bryce Harper that's an unfair thing to do right right and that's we all know where that's going with uh, with Bryce Harper right now uh, so Wait, tell San us San Francisco for a short term <laughs> deal maybe you know that he's not going to take. Yeah. <laughs> um, now you you have 
a background in officiating, do you not? You have you you. I know you do basketball games. I've seen you dressed as an umpire when you play Blue Cowboy on YouTube. Tell us about <laughs> tell us about uh, you know what you've done in the world of officiating prior to close call sports. What's your experience out on the field, on the court, et cetera? Well, probably what you know. The, re- the re- probably the reason I was ambitious enough to do this was because I got hit in the head in baseball got knocked out and I was like, well, oh, that, that must've kickstarted something up there. Um, <laughs> that, 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 you know, that also, that also turned me off to trying to advance on the baseball ladder. Cause I'm like, look, I, I don't want to get into the concussion issue. You know, if I can prevent myself from getting uh, into a potential head injury situation, like a chronic head injury, like we've, we, we, we've talked to umpires as, you know, you know, close call sports. We've talked to umpires who, you know, have retired because of concussions right. and head injury concerns. And, you know, as a, as a, as a younger person, I, you know, I, it, you know, the, the cards were unlucky for me because I, I, you know, I had a, I had a severe head, you know, head thing that happened early on in my baseball career. It is like, do I really want to risk, you know, going down this route? And I, you know, and so, it's like, I love baseball, but for medical reasons, and some people think, oh, you're overreacting. That's, that's a, you're you know, certainly not, thing. you know, you have our support with that. Yeah. I'm like, I, cause I switched, you know, I, I, I got the bucket, you know, you know, the, the hockey style mask. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I did, I, you know, I, I, I did what I felt was the, was the, the best preventative thing to do, but nothing can prevent getting your bell rung. Right. Um, and may, you know what, maybe, maybe I was in, I was out of the green zone. Maybe I was in the red zone. I, I can't remember. Um, you know, but, but what, you know, even if I, let's say I put myself in the red zone, in the danger zone, you know, cause there's that green, yellow, red chart of, of working the slot. And right. let, let's say, you know, who cares? I got hit anyway. Right. Um, and it, you know, and yeah, you can correct it for next. Do I want to take that chance? And yeah, I'm, yeah, I might be, I might be wussing out on that, but then again, we shouldn't be shaming people for making health conscious decisions, but that's just my personal thing. So anyway, I went to basketball because I said, you know what? Um, at least in basketball, I have a chance to get out of the way. Right. In baseball, they want you to just stand there and take it. Even that, you know, the problem is that the lower levels of baseball, the catchers can't catch. Right. And and the pitchers are throwing faster, and they're trying weird curveballs, or they're doing whatever, whatever you know, whatever it is. And the batters aren't, you know, are like, oh, I'm not going to swing at that. And you got to stand there, and call balls and strikes. The catcher's bailing out, the batter's bailing out, and the ball hits you, and it's like, well, I I, I have to stand there. I'm sorry. Right. So you you're completely done with baseball. You won't go on the field at all. Uh, I'll do rec games. Okay, that's fair. That's I'll fair. I'll do rec, and, and simply because you know I don't want to do level. You know, I'll I'll do I'll, I don't want to do levels where people are hyper competitive into, uh, and, and it's not because of you know it's not because of a competition of sportsmanship. It's not that has nothing to do with it mm-hmm. because in basketball I deal with that you know times ten. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it it has everything to do with the way that the pitches are coming in, and I just you know, um, I just don't want to put myself into a situation of injury. That's that's and, totally fine. And yeah, I, I didn't want to do that, and and you know, I was like, I was like, you know, my back was starting to get you know into the whole squat and thing was starting to <clears throat> starting to interfere with my enjoyment of how I was. Uh, how I was uh, setting up behind the catcher, so to speak. And, um, you know, I was like, you know what? Um, 
I'm going to take an early medical on this and, and switch to another sport. That's, that's totally fine. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, if you're hit once, you sort of develop this sort of, you know, subconscious flinch right. as a result. Yeah. Uh, I think the, one of the most famous examples is Mike Mussina. You know, every time he would throw, he, I think he got hit, what, just over the eyebrow? I can't remember when exactly. Do you remember when? I, it, it was early in his career. But ever, ever, every time he'd throw a pitch, he would just blink a little bit or flinch right after. And that, it that just couldn't of, help it. That explains why he finished in the position that he did, Yeah, you know, to try. Mm-hmm. It was it was a way of trying to prevent himself from reoccurring, that reoccurring situation. Right. I mean, I know in my personal experience, I'm entering my 13th year of umpiring baseball. I'm not going any higher than high school varsity. Uh, and I've had one concussion. And that was, I had the regular style catcher's mask. Uh you know, probably knocked me out for a good week and a half, two weeks. And then, you know, we, my girlfriend got in her car accident, had a traumatic brain injury, concussion, et cetera. That knocked her out for three years. And the only way that she would allow me to continue to umpire is if I wore the bucket, the, the hockey style mask. And I said, well, you know, if you're going to spend the $300, by all means, let's do this. And, you know, but, but you still go into it knowing that there is that risk you know now you can make the argument you can have the discussion of at what point do you want to you know err on the side of caution at what point do you is is it just not worth it to you uh does life has to be lived you know you can't live in fear you know there are it's all individual these... experience exactly yeah. exactly so so for Gil to make that type of a decision is not in my opinion one based on fear but one based on maturity and that's something that and forethought I, and forethought yeah exactly yeah. that that's something that speaks to you know the level of being able to think about this stuff um, not just in the present but in the future and and coming to these realizations and that's that's something that I think also speaks to sportsmanship in much in the you know we talk about the herd mentality and whatnot but we talk about also people just don't think about what their actions could mean. You know, they act in the moment. They act with their adrenaline going, uh, with testosterone going, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, so, you know, what a, what, a, what a player or a coach or a fan might, might say or do just does not come with the forethought to think, geez, this could come with a suspension or a fine or this person has to go home to a family. You know, it just those things do not come into play in those things. So this is an example of someone being able to recognize that. And and I applaud Gil for, for coming to that. And, and, and the other thing is you've taken this and you've made this – you know, you've taken a, I guess what you would call being dealt a bad hand and turned it into something positive. You've, you've, you've made a great thing out of a poor situation with close call sports. So, so talk about, uh, you know, how close call sports started, uh, what your initial goals were and, and, and kind of the path that you took to where you are now with, with all the great programs that you have. So back in, uh, 2005, 2006, you know, I started uh, started getting a little bit more uh, involved in, in looking at these baseball games and looking at these box scores and seeing people get thrown out. And, I'm, um, and you know, and that that sort of piqued my interest. I'm like, you know, because from a situation handling perspective, 
Um, on the educational side, you know, how, how, how does this work in the big leagues? And so I, I started tracking that stuff and I said, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, let's, let's start a little, uh, a little, you know, amongst friends, start a little league, put it on the, you know, and it was easy to put on a blog and, and keep everyone informed that way, you know, cause initially it's like, okay, well, let's communicate by email. And then it was like, well, this is, there's really no way to get a permanent database if you're doing it on email. So we did. So, so I moved to a blog on it and, you know, from there I said, well, there's more stuff than just ejections. So I started to do this thing called unofficial ejections, which are, uh, you know, these, these heated situations that, you know, someone's not formally thrown out in the box score, but it's notable anyway. And I'm like, okay, let's expand beyond that there, you know, we can talk about rules and plays and all, all sorts of fun stuff. And when we can do stats, we can do this, we can do the other. Um, I got a domain name for the thing. I changed the branding around. I did all, all, you know, I did all of this to and developed it to where it is today. And, <clears throat> you know, so it started with the whole idea of, of, of let's track some injections and see what, you know, see, see what the big boys do. And now it's, uh, you know, it, 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 that, that's our flagship as it were. If you still have that umpire ejection fantasy league is the main, you know, um, main thing we're known for, I suppose. But there's a whole bunch of rules discussions and analysis video. And, you know, we, we, we talked to a bunch of, you know, we, we talked to umpires and uh, people that have been in the big leagues. What's, what is, what, what, what's their story and, and this, that. And we do all of this. Um, we do all of this various stuff. We do the stats. We do the, we do the ball strike stats and all uh, the replay stats and, and, and things like that. As the game adapts, we adapt. And, you know, now it's, it's sort of a situation where, we we have our stats, um, and I'm so, I'm so into the stats because you know baseball's all this <clears throat> all this sabermetric stuff to begin with, and I said, well, we can probably apply that to umpiring somehow, and you know, and so with ejections, it came with the whole idea of of quality of correctness was the call right or not to begin with, you know, the call that preceded the ejection because at the end of the day, we want to be we 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 want to be honest about it and say, well. Did the umpire actually get that call right? I mean, the ejection, you know, ninety-five percent of the time, and that's completely a made-up number. Um, but it's nearly every time the ejection itself is a hundred percent correct. It's a warranted um, thing, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. Near, nearly. You know, there 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 are exceptions. There are always exceptions to the rule, um, but nearly every time the ejection is warranted. It's a correct ejection. Um, so it would be quite boring to analyze that. Um, so I said, you know what, let's go to the call and actually see, do, do, you know, cause I don't think that, you know, there was any concrete stats that would uh, tell us if the ejection, you know, the, the call preceding the ejection, uh, was the manager right to argue this call or was the, um, did the umpire have the point or, or what have you? And come to find out that, um, more than two thirds of all uh, calls that result in injections are the correct call, and that number has actually gone up. Uh, that percentage has gone up. The umpires write a vast majority of the time now um, for plays where the manager or the player or whoever comes out and gets ejected. The umpires right, and and it's and you know and we we you know certain things like hitting a batter uh, intentionally or fighting. Those things do not count for correct or incorrect, but if it's like a ball strike or a safe out or, you know, this, that, the other, yeah, that's that can be quantified in that way, and, and we analyze it, and we put in the stats, and the umpire's right 
a lot, you know, uh, like 70% of the time these days. So, um, so that's how we did those stats. And then, you know, I thought that was interesting. And, uh, then expanded replay came about and I thought, Oh, well, this is, this is another way to do some stats. I could do a whole bunch with that because there's such a great sample size for the league. Cause it's, you know, um, we're over a thousand per year. So that's, that's, a, that's enough to do some, some significant work with, um, boil it down to each umpire and this, and the numbers are not as significant, but they're still there. Um, so, you know, there, there's the whole debate on, do we use the whole, uh, do we use replay affirmation percentage, which is essentially, uh, how many times the umpire is, their, their call is confirmed or, or upheld, uh, versus their overall calls that go to replay, uh, challenge or review or otherwise, um, do we use that stat or do we use the number of raw overturns that they get per season? Because there's a whole, you know, there's this bias that comes in, um, just just a statistical bias. Uh, a manager's not going to challenge a call that's obviously right. Um, they're going to challenge a call they think is not right. So you're only looking at the, at the, uh, at the closest calls to begin with when it comes to replay. Um, and even on that, the umpires write a, a good chunk of the time too. And so right now we get uh, calls that go to replay review. It's about a 50, 50 split between calls that are overturned and calls that are not overturned. And, you know, a lot of people will take the 49 or 50% of calls that get overturned and say, Hey, the umpires aren't doing that great because look how often they're overturned. It's like 50%. <clears throat> And I just wrote an article saying uh, that's not what that number means. That means that on the closest calls that the manager has a suspicion that those calls were incorrect um, and that the video review person has had a chance to review and tell the manager whether the umpire is correct or incorrect, uh, the umpire still right about 50% of the time. So, these are calls that uh, the team thinks the umpire got wrong based on video review, and the umpire still gets the benefit 50% of the time. So <clears throat> overall, what does that mean? It means that the umpires are correct on 99.5% of their calls, and that's based on statistics from you know from 2014 to now. Uh, the umpires are right 99.5% of the time in the uh, on non-ball strike issues, and on balls and strikes issues, I believe that number is you know in the 97 or 98% range, and if that's, you know, for anyone who's, who, who goes to a game and tries to call uh, uh, ball strikes, calls, tries to call play on the bases or whatever, uh, 99.5%, 97, 98% for ball strike, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty up there. So when I see the, uh, the, the, the major media outlets and, and the beat writers and the, and, and, and the personalities putting out all of these things about, uh, you know, being critical of, of the umpires for, for a call or for this, for that, for the other, and they're trying to blanket the umpire with a career of questionable calls or whatever. I'm like, look, the umpires work. You know, if if you're a full timer, you're working 120 a year. If you're if you're a call up, you can work 150 a year. Heck, we just had uh, we just talked to Richie Garcia who worked uh, who worked like 168 games in a season or something like that. I'm right, like, he was insane. A, yeah, it's a 162 game season. How do you work more games in the season than there are games? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that but, doesn't statistically make sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like what? What are you doing? You're you're starting in you're starting at Wrigley Field and you're going down and working for the White Sox at night, right? Uh, you have <laughs> and, to be, you, and you got to write those miles off. You have to, okay? <laughs> oh, exactly. But uh, the, I mean, 
the way it works is like the umpire's calling so many games a year, and you're talking about one call from one one third of an inning from you know the you know yeah that that's why the umpires are right ninety nine point five percent of the time that's where that comes from, uh, but I see them try to blanket the umpire with this 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 career of controversy or whatever doesn't make much sense um, <clears throat> and. I, 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 you know, I'm like, well, if you, if you actually take the time to come to an umpire site to look at what our stats are on the officiating, and, and again, a lot of people will accuse us of being pro-umpire, and a lot of umpires will accuse us of being anti-umpire. It, it's funny. Um, I, I, it's, like, it's like officiating in general. If both teams are upset at you, you're probably doing a good job. <laughs> um, so, but... <clears throat> I, I, I look at like the, the major media people that, that they'll tweet out this stuff or say bad things about umpires, and I'm like, uh, dude, my job, my only job is to keep stats on these guys, and what you're saying is based on a heat-of-the-moment thing, based on a, a – you're, you're fanboying here, and, and you, you, you don't like this umpire, and you're taking it out on him using, using stats that don't make any sense because, uh, well, quite frankly, um, they don't exist. And the stats that do exist, which we keep track of on close call, uh, say that the umpire is doing a pretty decent job. Um, and, of course, those stats, you know, sometimes they make it out there into the – like the, the, our postseason ball strike stats make it out there into the public uh, lexicon. Um, but, other than, but, you know, no, it's like anything else. The postseason brings out the, uh, brings out the, the high intensity, and the regular season is just, ah, who cares? Um, but we keep track of that throughout. We don't care what the game is. Each game is important to keep track of. And, you know, the postseason, the only difference is there aren't 15 games on the schedule in a day. So we have the ability to do, to devote our attention to doing balls and strikes for the postseason for the, for the you know, two games there are a day or whatever it is. We were talking about on the last podcast with your colleague um, about, what was it, the NFC championship game. right with the with the no call the, miss, the, of, yeah. the, the no call and jack didn't you find an article where there were a bunch of fans looking trying to get um Gilvinovich? yeah yeah it was it was before the game uh rams fans were petitioning on change.org to have bill vinovich removed as the referee because uh out of all the games that he had officiated for the rams the rams were zero and eight then after that, when the Rams won, well, you kind of see where this is going, right? I mean, do I really have to spell it out? For you? I mean, it's just the 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 your your brain only has so many synapses to follow logic before even the brain cells look at you and go, "I don't know what we're doing anymore." It just it just you're just you're just lost. <laughs> So I mean, we can we can have a good laugh about it, but we, we, well, we want the call to favor our team. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I was I was I was yeah I was I was talking to someone about that, and they were saying something about it. That ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage, which which I hadn't heard um, in any of these media reports or whatever. And you go back and you watch the tape, and I you know whether it's on purpose or not, someone on that crew is giving a signal that the ball was touched. Um, which, 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 which would obviously negate the whole idea of a pass interference right. call. Um, and, and that just brought another whole wrinkle into the thing. And, you know, I'm, you know, Ben, Ben Astro's the guy that, uh, that runs football zebras and he's, he's a, uh, you know, he's a football expert and all that. And I read his stuff and, you know, we, we, we do a, li- we do a little link exchange. I link to him. He links to us. 
And, um, <clears throat> and you know, and, and he looked at that play and he's like, you know what, um, you know, taken in a vacuum, yeah, you're not allowed to chuck the guy like that. But um, if it was tipped, it would, you know, if they said it was tipped, then they said it was tipped. What are you going to do? But, right. um, and, and, was it tipped or not? I don't think there was that, you know, who knows? I don't think there, there was a camera focused on that. Um, but, you know, at, 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 you know, at the end, you know, the, the New Orleans guys, uh, you know, the, I don't talk, you know, any, any fan, it's not New Orleans, any fan base would do this. If they feel that one call robbed them of, or, you know, quote, unquote, robbed them of a chance to get to the Super Bowl, they would do the, they would raise all heck because, you know that's how that's how that's how these sports work, and so there was someone who's going to sue the league. There was going to we want an injunction to get the 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 result overturned. We want the 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 Saints in the Super Bowl. We want the you know the courts of court. You know they get the things like uh, no, we're not getting involved. The refs um, want had to be there was the one senator that said the refs have to uh, <laughs> testify in, in in Congress to answer to the call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great use of our tax dollars. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. exactly what I said when we talked about it. Like, there's but, so but many bigger fish to fry. But but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That senator's from Louisiana, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So so he's going to get reelected, right? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Gil Imber for president. Okay, I'm 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 saying it now. You have my vote. <laughs> I, I know how to pander, but uh, the whole point of the website is not to do that. So, right. You know. <laughs> Gil, I'm going to put you on the spot, which really is the complete antithesis of what I've been doing this entire podcast. <laughs> what would you say? You know, we're, we're talking about uh, the media, the the fan base, um, all of these different groups that come out and tweet or or write something about you know the one call that the umpire makes and they negate the statistics uh they say they completely ignore the 99.5 percent uh they they just for whatever reason are either pandering or they're choosing to focus on this and to a degree also i'm going to take it a step further it it boggles my mind that and I understand why they do it, so I'm not trying to act ignorant, but it still boggles my mind that I can turn on the MLB network and watch any number of live programs where analysts are bashing umpires. I'll see it from Mark DeRosa in the morning to Chris Russo in the afternoon to whoever's on uh, you know, the the, the the show at night. I mean just it, it doesn't matter what uh, what time of day it is, if there is a questionable call, there's either a former player or a hot-headed pundit ripping them. And I'm thinking to myself, you work for the offices of the people that employ these people. I, I, don't, I don't understand how, it's, how there's not someone walking from one office to the next and saying, hey, shut up. Uh, but but how would you what would you say to these people to to try and convince them to say to say I need to do a better job as either a fan as a journalist as an analyst whatever the case may be so that fairness and statistics and facts and everything that close call sports is putting out there are 
observed and taken into account rather than just letting the emotions and the pandering just run rampant? So first I would say, you know, for all the times that uh, like Pedro Martinez working for MLB Network has bashed Angel Hernandez, also employed by MLB, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I said, you know, heck, this whole Angel Hernandez racial discrimination lawsuit started with a complaint to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They referred it to, you know, they approved the lawsuit, all that. Um, Angel, if you're listening, uh, consider a hostile work environment claim. Wow. Um, seriously. That's I, very I, true. I, if, if you're in employment law um, and if this is any other profession and you have, you're an employee and another employee of of your parent company or a related company is ba- it's continuously bashing you and your employer does nothing to stop it. Um, that's a hostile work environment. So in any case, I am always perplexed that we treat sports in such a way that is completely disconnected from the rest of society. Um, we are so concerned these days with fairness and equality and all of these issues, especially when it comes to workplace safety and, and, and we, 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 any minor um, or major variance from the standards of decorum in employment, we address and we address it strongly. We have trainings to prevent harassment. We have you know all of these things. And when it comes to sports, even though it's still employee-employee issues, it goes completely out the window. Because why? Because, oh, that's what they're paid to, you know, personality, media personality versus umpire. Umpire, you have to take this because that's what you are. You're an umpire. You take it. You take abuse. That's what happens. I'm, my mind is blown always on a daily basis doing the Close Call Sports website. Maybe not daily. That's an exaggeration. But well, we feel on, it daily. We do feel it, yeah. When, when we when when we experience this, or when we hear it in the media, whatever, my mind is blown. With with the state of society these days, and we are so in tune with all of these issues of harassment or abuse or what have you, we consciously permit and allow uh, continual bashing of officials, um, where in any other arena of you know that that's probably a weird word of to, uh, word choice, but in any other um, field, well, that's another weird word choice. <laughs> uh, we know what you're saying. <laughs> but in any other sector, uh, it wouldn't be tolerated for for more than five minutes before someone would do something about it. And in sports, we let it happen. That's a problem to me, and I'm in the complete minority on that one. But you know, I, I know that OSIP. I know that you guys are. You guys would very much be on board with that idea. One hundred and ten percent. That you know, we 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 need to be consistent. Speaking of consistency, we need to be consistent in society. Hey, if this is not tolerated in an office, a nine to five office, this should not be tolerated in sports because it's a similar relationship of an employee on one branch of the company versus an employee on another branch of the company. The employee way over here should not be able to. Um, to turn people against the employee way over here, publicly defame or whatever. Uh, that's not a lot. That's not okay. And the fact that we continually allow it, that's why, that's why I say this is a hostile work environment. Let the, let the legal system, let the government see 
in, an investigation and, and, and see what they have to say. But uh, that's never going to happen, by the way. It's wishful thinking. But um, in a perfect world, that's exactly how it would go. Uh, so in any case, that's a sidebar to the main issue, which is why do – uh, the main question, which is why why do umpires uh, get the brunt of the of the analysts and the broadcasters continuously continuously like to trash on them? Um, hey, you, your call cost my team a run or whatever, and, and managers do a post game, and everyone does it. You know why 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 is that a thing? And I wrote an article in two thousand whatever uh, for uh, for the for the uh, it was the October tenth. It was the World Mental Health Day, and I was like, you know what, umpire abuse is an issue, and this is where the OSIP connection comes in. I'm Correct. like, I'm going to yep. write an, I'm I'm going to write an article um, where I where where I talk about you know, hey, umpires, you know, who who have received this treatment because the idea is you're just as an umpire, as, as a referee, as a as a, as a, as a linesman or as a judge. You're supposed to take it. That's it. You're, that's your role. You're an official. You get abused. That's, I'm sorry. That's what happens. Uh, and the whole concept of that is completely wonky. It's, you're, no, that's not acceptable. That's never acceptable. You go into these high schools, um, and, and, you know, and a fair amount of these high schools have adopted codes that they put on the walls of the gym. Um, if you do, you know, for me, basketball, the walls of the gym, and it says, um, you know, the standard refrain is let the players play, let the coaches coach, let the officials officiate, um, let the specters, spectators spectate. Um, and the ones that go into even more detail on that are, you know, respect the official, respect their calls and, you know, cheer, don't, you know, cheer, cheer the players, don't, uh, you know, don't be harassing to anyone. Be sportsmanlike. Um, and, of course, that's the first thing that goes out the window once the ball goes up. Um, of course. But, you know, it, so, so it's like we, we're doing lip service on this, but are we really following through? No. Um, and the higher level you go, the, <laughs> what I realize in, the, in, 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 in basketball is um, they're, 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 we have showtime leagues. And it's absolutely gotten – I'm sure it's gotten crazy in baseball as well with the recruiting, even in high school, even in youth that goes on. There's recruiting. There's this. There's that. There's scouting. It's absolutely insane. And we want to keep these big players in the game no matter how abusive they are. And, you know, so what I found is, you know, the, the, the high profile private school showtime leagues, I don't work those. I'm not on that tier. And the reason one of the reasons I'm not on that tier is I don't put up with crap. Um, that's why, you know, that's why I loved how we had Bob Davidson as our first uh, umpire guest on, on our Bob. show. Yep. Yeah, because Bob never put up. He's old school. He never put up with any of this. And I'm like, I don't either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, now, Bob is a lot more accomplished than any of us, but, you know, it's a very similar attitude. It's like, wh- why, why are we putting up with this? And, and the reason we are putting up with this is we, well, um, you know, at the, it's, it's, at the end of the day, someone else is writing the check, and uh, they have the power over us. And if we don't stand up and unify, there's always, you know, the problem is there's always, even with the union, there's always someone who's willing to take it. Right. And, and that just begets more problems. But... Okay, that was the second sidebar. Going back to the main question, and I lo- for for anyone who's listening, I apologize for making this so confusing. Um, <clears throat> but the main question was, why do we dump on officials in the first place? Why do broadcasters and analysts and all that, you know, dump on officials? And in the article that I wrote, uh, I discuss the psychological reason, and you know, and I, you know, it's a it's a level two Freudian defense mechanism, and the nickname for the level twos, the category called level twos, and officials love the nickname for the level twos because the le- the nickname is immature defense mechanism, um, and the and, and and it's specifically called you know projection, 
And, you know, like CC Sabathia projected onto Angel Hernandez after game four when the, you know, when the Yankees lost and got kicked out of the postseason this year. He said some terrible things about Angel post game, mm-hmm. which, of course, MLB did little to nothing about. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I analyze all of the, every time that MLB finds a player, I'm like, you know what? It's always, it's never more than 10,000 because there's a CBA limit. And, and I always go back and I say, what does this fine represent for the player's overall salary? And it's never anything more than 0.1%. Um, for anyone making normal people money, like, you know, uh, it's never more than, say, a $50 fine right. for a normal person. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, that's part of the problem as well. But anyway, um, you know, like the NBA fines people 50000 for these incidents, which is not much better, but it's a whole much more than MLB, whose players receive a lot more money in their contracts. It should be based on a proportion of their salary, but that's a whole other issue. In any case, it's a level two Freudian defense mechanism known as the immature defense mechanism of projection, where in CC, for instance, going after Angel, CC pitched horribly. Um, he got the loss, obviously. So he pitched horribly, but he took out everything on Angel. It's all Angel's fault. Everything that I did wrong, it was the umpire's fault. And it's sort of that's a microcosm of what's going on. We like to blame the umpires, especially on analysts and uh, all of that. We like to blame the umpires because we don't want to accept the fact that our team was disappointing. That we, you know, I, I, I was disappointing as a player. I don't want to acknowledge that. So it's the umpire's fault. Um, it's someone easy to blame. I can't blame the other team because the other team's whole purpose is to make sure that I lose. So they did their job. I can't blame them for that. But the umpire's supposed to be fair. And let me just say that he wasn't fair. Even if he was, he wasn't. Right. Um, no matter what the stats show, it's the umpire's fault because it's an easy target. The umpire's not going to fight back. They can't fight back. The, uh, the you know, there's there's all you know. And, 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 you know, Dan and his crew have done a great job of building up the umpires union, changing from the WA to the MLBUA, the major league baseball umpires association. Um, they got a new webpage, Twitter account, et cetera. And so they've stood up for them. You know, the whole idea was we need to stand up for ourselves because no one else is going to, and the league's not doing anything about this. And so we're going to stand up for for ourselves. And when people do stupid things, we're going to, you know, when they say bad things about us, we're going to respond uh, if it merits a response. And so they've tweeted out a few things this course of this past season, and it's been fantastic. And I and I've been you know talking to them when they started it up, and it, and you know just to you know see how, seeing how everything's going, and they've asked some stuff, and I you know just about the social media realm and, and how to do this and, and that. And, you know, and it's just, it, it's, 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 it's great to see, um, even, you know, even, you know, when, you know, it's definitely not adequate, to, you know, it's not the, the defense that we'd like to make it. Um, if we were able to fully stand up for ourselves, we'd, we would be able to each write dissertations on every time a player goes off on us. But, um, at least it's something. At least we get to hear something. And so I applaud them for doing that. But, you know, in any case, the whole idea of projecting onto the umpires from an analyst and a broadcasting perspective, you know, I, I used to think you bring an umpire into the booth and they talk about the rules and that'll quell the issue. But, you know, then you go bet way the heck back to there was a White Sox game where Hawk Harrelson, he was an analyst way back in, in, in the day that didn't like a fan interference call 
And there was a runner who started the play on first base, and they permitted him to score because the interference was on a ground, on, on a lollygagging grounder up the left field line, and the runner was fast and, you know, nullify the act, right? Right. Um, so they permitted that runner to score. And Harrelson was going absolutely insane about how he should have been stopped at third base because the penalty is two bases. Um, and so he was going, he was apoplectic about how the umpires were terrible. It's like the umpires say, hey, look, they called interference. How can they let him score? They don't even know their own darn rules. You know, it's that dead gummy, this horse, you know, whatever. Um, so naturally, what do they do? They go to the studio. Who's in the studio? Um, Don Denkinger, the umpire, right? Yeah, the famous yeah. Don Denkinger from the 85 World Series. Yeah, so they go to Don, and he says, uh, the umpires are correct, you nullify the act, and and let's look at this play again. The runner is fast, and he was already at like third base when the fan picked up the ball, and the outfielder was still trying to figure out exactly what route he was going to take, and uh, yeah, that, that guy was going to score. Um, <clears throat> and... And of course, they go back to you know they cut back to uh, to Hawk in the booth, and you see this ISO on Hawk looking all really upset about the whole thing, and he takes a moment, composes himself, and then starts talking like they never went to Don in the first place. It's like, well, the umpires got that wrong, and I don't understand how it could you know all of this, and I'm like. And we heard a similar story from Richie, uh, you know, and I and, and I was like, uh, I was like. Okay, so uh, having an umpire in the booth really won't help because they won't listen to him anyway. And the one thing I found is that, you know, I listened to Verducci, uh, and he's very fair. And I go way back, you know, I go back, and I'm like, you know what? He went to umpire, you know, training, or he, he, went, to, he went to the to the to the to the um the preseason spring training, and he worked, you know, quote unquote, worked a game at third base or whatever. Um, he was with with uh, Timmy Cheetah and all those guys, and um. But uh, you know, um, and and uh, and there was a recently an article from someone from the score who went to Wendelstead, um School, and and his article was great about the umpires. And of course, you go back and you know the, what's everyone's popular pastime is to go back into someone's Twitter history and see what they've said about uh, whatever. And so I go back into this guy's Twitter history who wrote the article, and he was he's been very bad, you know, very critical on on umpires in the past, you know, from like 2013, whatever. Um, but now that he's gone to umpire school, will his perspective change in the future? That's the question. And so do we send more of these broadcasters to umpire school? Uh, because the invitation, like with Wendelstead, has been, you know, to my knowledge, there's always been a standing invitation to any broadcaster in the league to go to umpire school. And very few, if any, have taken them up on that because I don't want to take time learning. I'm not a broadcaster. I don't need to do this. Well, there's a reason that you don't understand anything the umpires do and you keep dumping on the umpires is because you've, you've never been there. Um, Chris Welch, who's, who's, who's with Cincinnati, um, he's, a, he's an analyst there, and, or, or he does the broadcast there. He, 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 uh, he partnered with, um, I think he went with Ted Barrett and he, you know, to do a rules thing, rule, Baseball Rules Academy. Um, for, and, and so now he's very great with the umpires. He's very great on the rules on, on that. And when he doesn't know a rule, he, rather than what a lot of broadcasters do, which is make something up, he says, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you. Vince Scully used to always do that. He's like, I'm not, you know, I don't know this rule. I'll get back to you. But Vince Scully, um, he knew the rules. Like if there was any broadcaster in baseball who knew the rules, it was Vinny. Um, and he was great about that. But, and, 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 you know, just, just as another side, he was the, 
the only broadcaster in the league that the umpires would arrive at that stadium. They went to Dodger Stadium. They went to the plate meeting and they would turn around. They'd look at the broadcast booth, find Vinny, and they'd salute him. Right. The only broadcaster in the entire league that that, 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 that would happen with. Um, and that just goes to show, but in any case, why do broadcasters continue going off in the umpires in addition to this whole uh, Freudian defense mechanism and all that? Ratings. The fans love it um, because the fans also employ this mechanism, and they just love to see their opinions validated, however misguided. They love to see the validation on TV. They love it. Controversy is so great. Um, and, and they keep coming back for more. It's like junk food ratings. We can go after these umpires, and therefore um, it also takes the focus away from the team. Um, the team's bad, but hey, we can blame the umpires. So maybe you'll not you'll, you'll go easy on the team too at the same time because it can be the umpires' fault today, not not our star player. Of course, right. So, um, so Jack, you were mentioning, um, or you mentioned, um, what was this? Probably a few months ago at this point, sort of to piggyback on what Gil was saying about how enough people outside of officiating don't know the rules. You mentioned to me a test that managers, players, yep. and what was that? This was the ESPN test, I think, and there were 10 questions, and uh, you know they gave it to a bunch of people, and they were all basically in the very low percentile, and I think the one that sticks in my craw is that out of 10 questions – Current Yankees manager Aaron Boone, who was an analyst for ESPN for a long time, got one out of ten correct. And that's the kind of thing where I'm like, great, the the guy who got one out of ten in the rules is now running my team. This is great. I'm gonna need a fourth beer, please. I mean just <laughs> I wanna I just wanna clarify something about this rules test, which please do. Uh, which the average score for the uh, for the managers and coaches was six and a half. The average score for the players was uh, mid fives. The average score um, for the broadcasters was mid fours, and the average score for fans was the upper threes. Um, but I just want to clarify something about uh, Booney. Um, these ten questions were true false. It's not multiple. It's not an essay. It's not multiple. It's true false. It is so. It is multiple choice, but it's only two options. You choose true for every single one of them, you're going to get 50%. So Boone somehow manages to get one. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was ever a reason to feel confident in the 2019 Yankees, we're going to just flush that down the toilet. So whatever, whatever yeah, so what, yeah, so so our nickname for him is 10% Boone. Um, <laughs> I feel like that should be the title to his upcoming autobiography. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I want to think he did it as a joke, but at the same time, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I, I don't even want to venture into the mind of him and try and figure that out. Um, last thing before, before we, we wrap up, where do we go from here? You know, we at OSIP have a mission. Close Call Sports has a mission. We've been working together. Um, we've obviously talked about a lot of things that we have been able to examine uh, in, in, in the current status and even back into the past and whatnot. What can we do, whether our role is player, coach, official, fan, media? What can we do moving forward 
to to fix this? Is it is it as simple as going on close call sports or OSA Foundation? What what is the solution to these issues? Well, the vast majority of our um, of our fan base on close call, our user experience, uh, are officials. If they're not officials, they might be coaches. They might be people who participate. They might even, you know, they might be fans. They, but the, the vast majority are officials. And as officials, uh, we, we're in the unique opportunity to administer a game. And so what, you know, the, the, the primary goals is, is the education and the promotion of positive culture through preventative measures, all that, through, through, through our, you know, non-game uh, awareness initiatives, whatever they may be. Um, you know, like even if that school has that mission statement of, of you know, good sportsmanship, all of that, um, that everyone, when they walk in the gym, it's like, oh, that's a weird sign that they have up in the corner. I wonder what that means. But, you know, that so that would qualify as sort of a pre, you know, pre-event um, mission statement, so to, you know, or so to speak, a little message. So that's always great to have. Oh, but when it comes down to crunch time and the game is actually occurring, we need to, as officials, um, actually consider addressing misconduct when it occurs. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is if there is a sportsmanship issue that per the rule you're backed to do something about, do it. Don't let anything slide that way. And, th- and again, we go back with the whole old school officiating the Bob Davidson way of doing it or, you know, and it goes and it's it. I, I, I love Bob so much that I say it's the Bob Davidson way, but it's so many umpires who do it this way. It's that you could say it's the Joe West way. You could say it's, you know, you could you could go way back to, to the to Nestor Shylock or or the Bill Clem way. Bill Clem had more ejections by gosh than any umpire in Major League history. Right. So and he's in the Hall of Fame. How about that? Yeah. Um, he, did, he also did umpire more games than you know than anyone else, and Joe's doing his best to break that record. But um, <clears throat> in any case, and, but Joe will never, even if Joe breaks Bill Clem's uh, all-time games work record, he'll never break his ejection record. Um, the point is that you know even umpires are considered the greatest. The great ones take care of business. They take care of the sportsmanship issue. It's like, you don't need to be in my business. There's a great clip of Bill Miller ejecting, I think it's Pedroia in Toronto. Oh, that's. I thought it was Johnny Damon. Was it Johnny Damon? Yeah, because it was a Yankee game. It was a Yankee. I remember this so vividly because at the time I had not yet become an umpire and I actually wrote something on social media. I think it was on like my MySpace account uh, oh, about MySpace. what is what is going through Bill Miller's mind. This whole crew is out of order and whatnot. And yeah. I look back on it now and went, "Wow, I could not be any more wrong." Yeah, if if you, if you don't know where they're coming from, um, if you've not seen any of the buildup, if you've not if you've not ever walked in an official's shoes, yeah, it's another power trip in official, isn't it? Right. Uh, but the mic, the on-field mic, the audio was fantastic. It was, you want to be in my business, you want to keep arguing balls and strikes, you're out of here. That's the idea. That's the whole point of the sign. Let the players play. Let the coaches coach. Let the officials officiate. Let the spectators spectate. If any one of those four categories tries to cross into someone else's, that's an issue. Right. 
Um, that's, you know, you don't, the coaches hate when officials try to coach their players. Now, I, heck, in basketball, I'm going to try to talk you out of a foul when I can't. I'm going to try to prevent a violation, preventative officiating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like 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 Nelly um, at Dodger Stadium is going to try to prevent that Dodgers pitcher from committing an illegal act by hiding the ball from the runner. Yep. And then throw the pitcher out when he gives him back. Right. But, um, but, but after the game, Roberts, Dave Roberts, I love Roberts as a manager. And I always knew as a player, he's a smart guy. The way he, would, way he was thinking, the way he picked his battles, stealing bases. Remember when he stole second in Boston? Oh, in yeah, yeah, go ahead. Rub that in. Please do. I, I, my pleasure. But um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan of either of those teams, just to be clear. But, of course. Um, uh, but no, I, I knew I'm, I'm a fan of Dave. That's the thing. Right. Cause he came from LA and at the time I was a Dodgers fan. I'm not a Dodgers fan now. Cause I went behind the scenes and saw what they did to McCourt and I didn't like it, but that's another story that we talked about earlier. But um, I, the thing, the, the, the point is that Roberts is a very fair manager when it comes to umpires, he gets ejected, but he, um, for arguing, for sticking up for his guys, for sometimes just you know arguing to argue, he'll get tossed. But he's a very fair guy, even if in his criticism he's fair. Um, which you know he's very measured. He's not emotional. He doesn't go off on rants for for you know he he doesn't do Ozzy Guillen power you know moves just to show that I'm in charge or whatever. Right. He's not. He, he's definitely not Don Mattingly. Um, you know he, he well he doesn't have the sideburns to begin with. And so. <laughs> He's got to go shave but, him. So, so Nelly tosses the Dodger pitcher. Nelson tosses the Dodger pitcher for that thing. After the game, and Bob Guerin's a great bench coach because Bob loves the rules of baseball. He's like, he, he, he reads the rule book for fun. He's great. And so the Dodgers have some great guys working in the dugout. I'm not sure about their video coordinator because of their replay record, but the guys who are in the dugout are great. I wrote about this, how the Dodgers are like the worst team in replay and, and have been for a while. And I think it's because their video coordinator is not that great, but that's another issue. Um, like the Royals, Billy Duplissy, the video coordinator on the Royals is the best in the league. And he has been the best in the league for years. And I'm like, this guy gets it. Right. Um, but in any case, Dave comes out in the postgame presser for the Dodgers media about the ejection of the pitcher and all that. And he's like, you know what? Jeff Nelson was hundred percent right. We looked at, we you know Bob Guerin, tell me about the role. Umpire got it right. We were wrong. Umpire was right. I'm like, how often do you hear that? That's fantastic. Yep. But as officials, what can we do? Cause that's a manager or that's a coach taking care of business. But what is, what can we as officials do to take care of business? And the answer is, if someone crosses the boundaries of, of, of sportsmanship, if they go into an unsportsmanlike behavior, unsportsman person behavior, I don't know. Um, what could, you know, if they, if we, we address it, that's what we do. Um, I'll give you an example that won't work for, for everyone. And it probably won't work for most people. Um, but it just worked for me. Um, I don't know why, but it did, and it might not work for you. I don't know. I don't want to put. I don't want to put anything out there. But I was working a, you know, doing my doing my youth game thing on the weekend in basketball, and you know we're early in our game, and you know these are you know these are these are probably getting to middle school age kids, and we get someone who's dribbling, you know, coming down, driving to the bucket to try to to do his little fast break or whatever it is. And, um, you know, and, and we're trying to teach the kids how to play basketball. So I call traveling when he, uh, when he takes an NBA, 
three steps when in high school you are not allowed the NBA rule. It's the high school rule. Right. And it's a youth game, but we're playing, you know, high school rules like, mo- like most li- most uh, leagues do around the country. Mm. <clears throat> so NFHS is very is similar to NC2A in that regard. And, you know, it's you, your pivot doesn't come back down to the floor. You don't do that. Uh, otherwise, it's a violation. And so I call the violation, um, wipe the bucket and all that. <clears throat> And, you know, and some of the fans of the kid, of that kid, you know, that kid's team are, you know, are, are you know, like worst call ever, all this, you know, stuff. And then, so I sort of chuckle at that, you know, I, I crack a smile and all that as I'm putting the ball back in play, ready to go the other way. And one of the, uh, one of the dads um, in the stand say, Hey, no, 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 we're, we're laughing at you. And I say, okay, no, 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 that's not okay. So I blow the whistle. Wait, 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 wait a second. That's not appropriate. Do not address me in that fashion. Enjoy the game. And, you know, and, 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 and you know, and, and the parents are taken aback. How, oh my gosh, this guy's actually talking to us. Uh, because usually we just take it, right? Right. Uh, how, how, this guy's giving it, you know, this guy's telling, oh my gosh. Because usually you go to game administration and you, you can get them to take care of it and all that. I'm thinking, you know what? No, no, this is, this is youth ball. We're here to learn about basketball. We're not. We're not in that. You know, for the environment, I felt it was appropriate to. I was right there. I can directly address these guys, and we can keep playing with minimal interruption. Some fans down the way actually uh, actually applauded at at that, which I was shocked about. But in any case, we kept playing and didn't have an issue the rest of the game. But the point of the matter is, if there's an unsportsmanlike issue, you know, and the fans on the hierarchy of tolerance, the fans are, you know way out in the ether you, you do not pay attention to fans that's what you're told right um but i felt it was so you know you it was such a personal comment so over the line such lack of respect and in front of kids this is not acceptable conduct and i want everyone to know that this is not acceptable conduct right that's how you, that's how you promote sportsmanship in sport it, it, that's how you that's how you get the message across by taking care of your business in your game it's like bill miller says you want to be in my business you want to argue about you take care of your business in your game the official's business is to promote good sportsmanship that's part of our job title you know implicitly or explicitly in the rules there is something in there for officials to promote sportsmanship in the federation they put it in the code of ethics they put it in the book itself under whatever sport you happen to do it's under a rule for discipline it talks about sportsmanship um it might not talk directly about interacting with fans it probably doesn't want you to do that but um there are things that you can do to promote sportsmanship in the book there are procedures there are your association your state the national federation the nc2a the whatever league or governing body you happen to be working for or with there is some procedure to to deal with sportsmanship issues use it if it's there, use it. If the rule is there, use it. Um, if, if, if there's some inappropriate conduct, like in, 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 in basketball, uh, last year we got a rules change, or two years ago we got a rules change that allows us to issue an administrative warning, a book warning, to the head coach for misconduct related to, amongst other things, sportsmanship issues on the bench. Interesting. Use it. Interesting. Use it. Yeah. And th- the reason that they wanted that, to be added was they felt that officials were halfway, you know, between the rock and the hard place. Cause it's either you call a technical foul and that's two points in the ball. And that's, that's a significant penalty or you don't do anything about it. And, you know, some officials would, you know, do the college thing of stop warning. Don't do that. You know, whatever. 
um, you put the warning in, but there was no official procedure for it. So the National Federation of High School said, we want to have an official procedure to warn the head coach for the bench conduct um, or the coaching box or what have you. And so that went into the book, and I said, you know what? You know, and it's what I found is, you know, my, my, uh, my personal um, technical foul fantasy league stats, um, my, uh, my technicals went down, and my warnings went up marginally, right. you know, because I was doing warnings before, um, but not per the procedure because there was no procedure, but just per our local custom. And <clears throat> so the warnings, you know, I, I, I issue, I'm, I'm, I feel more empowered and supported to issue warnings. And, you know, as officials to feel that you have the backing of the rule book to do that, because we talk about when, I, when how often do you start a, a conversation with a coach? Hey coach, by rule, this, you know, whatever, uh, you, you see, that happens a lot where you, you, the first thing you do is refer to the rule, refer to the rule book. Guess what? Now you can refer to the rule book directly when it comes to the bench warning. And you don't, you don't, you, obviously you don't go to the code and say, Oh, by rule, you're warned. You just say you're warned. Right. But if there's anyone has any question about it, it's the rule. There's a rule specifically for that. And the rule says not, you know, furthermore, the rule says, uh, the next step is a technical foul. And, you don't even need to issue a warning. You can go straight to the technical if it's a severe issue. And so in a way, it's like, oh, I'm glad I'm getting a warning rather than the technical for this. But um, because you could get a technical right off the bat. And in baseball, you know, you get you can be restricted to the dugout. You can be warned in that way and all that uh, before you get tossed. And um, the, 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 but the general message is there are tools. There are tools to use. Um and we we can we can do the informal verbal thing. We can do we can we can make it a formal written warning. Uh, we can go to a, an intermediate disciplinary measure in high school, restrict to the dugout, for instance, um, or the technical foul in basketball. We can do it on sportsmanlike penalty in football uh, or in hockey. On sportsmanlike, we can do a misconduct um, if we need to do it that way as well. And, whatever the sport is code violation warning whatever whatever the sport is there's a there's a way to do this so if the tools are there we need to make use of them as officials to promote good sportsmanship it starts with us uh in that way and it's a cliche statement because it gets used a lot in a lot of places and incorrectly in a lot of places and sportsmanship you know it 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 really doesn't start with us um but the enforcement of the code of sportsmanship absolutely does start with us well, you know, Gil, you made some really, really interesting points. And I guess one way that I always like to kind of hammer it home is that one of the goals as an organization for OSIP in particular is our non-existence. Right. Like we, we shouldn't have to exist anymore. And then mm-hmm. we've done our job. Right. And I feel like what you've said regarding, you know, officials calling out spectators is pretty apropos because, you know, as an organization, that's what we kind of do, not only with, uh, you know, with our various events, but with, with, with podcasts, we say, you know, well, first of all, shame on this person for doing this, but let's talk about why, you know, let's talk about why they should do things this way. And, you know, I think we have, obviously, between Close Call Sports and OSEP, we do have that connectivity and common goal 
Um, wouldn't you agree with that? I Jack? would. I would totally agree with that, and I think that that's the best way to kind of sum it up is that we have the same goal. We're approaching mm-hmm. it from two different avenues that are not too far apart. Uh, you know, they they have similarities between the two. We are allies working towards the same end result, which is fairness, clarity, treating others the way you wish would you you would be treated. It's not rocket science. It's the people who don't make it that easy that we're all trying to tr- to convince otherwise. And that's why we exist to exactly. some degree. Exactly. You know? And 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 the methods that both close call sports and OSIP are using are not only valid but incredibly important. They speak to different people in different ways and we as a as a collective group have to keep fighting the good fight. And there's there's really just no other way to it. Um Gil, I can't thank you enough for giving us so much of your time today. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to, to to talk about this stuff, to dive into it. And I hope that we have left our listeners with uh, just, just a completely new way of looking at things. I know myself, I feel refreshed. I feel re-energized as I go into my high school baseball season thinking, this is how I got to be. And that's how I'm going to try and do it. So I, I can't thank you enough, Gil. Thank you so much for, for, for this today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's, it's our pleasure. Remember uh, to check out Close Call Sports, the Umpire Ejection Fantasy League. Their podcast is The Plate Meeting. They've had so many fantastic guests. Uh, it, they do fantastic work. And uh, and if you get a chance, go listen to Gil at an Anaheim Ducks game. You won't be disappointed. So for, for Gil and for Sean, I uh, want to thank everybody again for joining us. It's been our pleasure. Uh, we will catch everybody in just a few short weeks. And until we get to that point, make sure that you treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by Soundspring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org. If you're interested in advertising on How You Play the Game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org.